This is the uh, final session of our series of studies that we've been doing on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, if you want to open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit uh, in this study. We've spent time in the early part talking about who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy, Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of different uh, issues there. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been zeroing in on the gifts of the Spirit. And two weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about the broader range of the gifts of the Spirit. We, we, talk about the, we talk about the gifts as gifted persons. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And all of those are gifted persons, and they are, they are as that scripture says, they are gifts to the body of Christ. And, and we, we talk about their, the fact that there are other lists of gifts, gifts in the New Testament. For example, in Romans, we're told uh, that there's a gift of administration, that there's a gift of hospitalities, a gift of giving. So there are other places where they're listed. But I believe that when, we, when you mention the gifts of the Spirit, that uh, I think most people immediately go in their minds to this list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and I don't want to recapitulate everything that we talked about all the, into the entire teaching, but let me just give you a wee bit of summary. Uh, early in the chapter, Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul was, was dealing, with, if you'll remember, he was talking to them, he's dealing with these uh, uh, Corinthians who were formerly pagans. Uh, who had converted to Christianity. They, they were not Jews who became believers in Christ as Savior, but they were Greco-Roman pagans who had become Christians. Therefore, their concepts of worship, worship were informed by their former paganism. And, and <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that pagan concept of worship believed that in order to receive supernatural giftedness, you know, some insight or some prophecy, for example, uh, and this is uniformly uh, accepted across paganism, but, but they would believe that, 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 that they, I have to rev myself up into some kind of fever pitch. I have to move myself in some way or another into the supernatural realm um, and, and then to receive something. Or like, like, for example, we talked about the Native American peyote cult. I, I, when that person, person in that, they say, they say I have to smoke dope until I transcend my body, I go into another dimension, then I receive some kind of vision, and when that high goes away, I come back into the natural realm and deliver that prophecy or whatever it is that I believe I've received in the supernatural realm. Remember, we even mentioned whirling dervishes, uh, and, and that were, the dervishes were a, 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 a para-Islamic cult that they, they would spin and spin and spin and spin and literally they were whirling dervishes and they would whirl in a circle until they had, had uh, a, a kind of an out-of-body experience in the hopes of receiving some kind of message from the other side, if you will. And when they came back to themselves, they would deliver that message. And Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, this is not how Christian worship or how Christian giftedness works. That's not how a Christian accesses the supernatural realm. That's not how a Christian receives spiritual gifts. He says, remember, in times past, you were swept, swept away to these dumb idols and you, you tried to get yourself caught up into some kind of a feverish wave so that you could go somewhere and receive a word from God or minister in the gifts, so to speak, or whatever it might be. 
And he says, that's not the way it works in Christ. The gifts of the Spirit, and we talked about this, they never operate uh, exclusive of the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, if, if one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and it is, then how can we expect the gifts of the Spirit to operate when we are out of control? So, so when you hear someone say something like, oh, I just couldn't stop myself, or I couldn't help myself, that, that's not the way the gifts of the Spirit work. So I want to continue now. Specifically, it says in chapter 14, Paul says it this way. He says the, the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, when that person receives a word from the Lord, he doesn't, he's not overcome any, and where he has to speak it and he has no control. He can choose whether to speak or not to speak. That you, you still have that fruit of self-control in, in, your, in your life. So uh, I want to continue tonight talking about the gifts. But tonight I want to talk about these gifts as they operate in a day-to-day -day experience uh, of, the, of the believers. So, you know, because we, we so often, when we think about the gifts of the Spirit, we often, often think about them in the context of a church service, in the church setting. You know, take, take tongues, for example. You know, we talked about the multiple ways that tongues can be made manifest, and, 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 uh, and it, it talks about various kinds of tongues in the passage. So there are tongues as the initial uh, evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are tongues uh, devotionally in private prayer, where Paul calls it praying in the Spirit. Then there's the temporary gift of an unknown tongue that someone else understands as, as their language. And, and then there's the impartation of earthly language. And uh, by the way, the, the use of an unknown tongue is known as glossolalia. But the, the impartation of a known tongue is called xenolalia. So there you go. And, and it's a ra that's a rare gift. It's a real gift. It's a documented gift. I told the story of Dr. Rutland who was given the gift of speaking Spanish. And he can still speak Spanish today. Never studied it. Uh, but that was a gift from the Spirit. But then, and this is what we often think of. And, but we think of this in, in the context of a worship service. But there's the gift of tongues where someone sp speaks in tongues in a worship service. And it's followed by the interpretation of that tongue, which is another of the gifts. So we, th we think of it in church context. And, you know, we tend to think of the word of prophecy being taking place in a public worship service where somebody says, uh, I have a word that God has given me and they share it or whatever. And, then, and, and we, we think of gifts of healing as being confined to the worship service where somebody comes forward in a church to the altar area to, for, for prayer, for healing, or, or they go to some crusade somewhere uh, and, and they're, they're praying and they want healing. But, but here's the question that I want us to, to examine tonight. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through, uh, not, not necessarily every one of them, but we're going to look at each little gift, each individual gift, not little gift, that's the wrong way to say it. But, uh, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about each one, about how, how it plays out in, in real life. So here's the question we want to examine. What do the gifts of the Spirit have to do with the day-to-day -day life of an average believer? What, what do they have to do with a carpenter who, who's working with a crew, working on a house somewhere? So, so let's just look at some of these gifts and how they relate to and how they function in the everyday life of the believer. Let's begin reading in 1 Corinthians 12, 
verse 8. And we're going we're gonna to just take each one individually, read a very small portion of Scripture. Verse 8 says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, or some translations say the word of wisdom. Both good translations. But here's, we talked a little bit about this, but sometimes the word of wisdom flows through you and it is, it is unfeigned. It, it, it may not sound flamboyant and it, it doesn't have to sound even like it is a word of wisdom. Often, it, rare, it rare, often doesn't sound that way. It just, for example, it just flows out in a board meeting when the board is wrestling with an issue and all of a sudden somebody just says something out of nowhere and everybody says, that's what we needed to hear. Uh, or, or it flows out, for example, sometimes I believe in, when someone is teaching from the word or or preaching or something like that, but, but, but there, suddenly there is some ac- application of the knowledge of the scripture that transcends your own natural knowledge or ability or wisdom. So it's just thing, that moment where the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom to be able to apply the knowledge. Because wisdom is, is, knowing, is, the, is, the, is knowing what to do with the knowledge that you have. So, so the gift of wisdom is when God gives you that insight to uh, this, the, the, to the knowledge of, of the scripture that goes beyond your your natural ability, your knowledge. I, I heard a story uh, one time about a man named Dr. Tommy Tommy Tyson. He was preaching a healing service in Decatur, Georgia, and he was preaching along. And all of a sudden, he just he just stepped out from behind the pulpit, and he, and he looked at where he had been standing behind the pulpit, and he said, "Oh, that's great." And then he stepped back behind the pulpit and just went back to preaching again. And afterwards, somebody, somebody asked him about it, and, and, he, and he had no real memory of it. He could not remember particularly what he said uh, to, that made him say that, or, or he couldn't really remember specifically stepping out of the pulpit and remarking on it or whatever. It wasn't anything that stuck out in his mind. But what, what I believe happened was that while, while he was preaching, what he heard uh, uh, that he heard what, what he said at the same time as everybody else who was listening. It was that moment where this wisdom, the word of wisdom came to him and he spoke it and he suddenly realized, whoa, where, I don't, that, that wasn't me. Where did that come from? And, and, and I believe that's what I see. He stepped out of the role of preaching and into the role of hearer and commented on what he said and then he stepped back into the role of preacher. So I just, just want to say the, the word of wisdom doesn't have to be in a formal setting. It, it, it may just be a, a group of friends talking. You could be talking with a friend who's wrestling with an issue. You could be in a Sunday school class or a small group. It could be having lunch with somebody. And, and all of a sudden, you know, in that moment, there's just there's this word of wisdom about this is what, we, what needs to happen. And it just comes. And it's just a beautiful thing. And so, uh, in fact, you know, it can happen. I think it happens often in a counseling setting, a counseling situation. Um, a story to kind of illustrate this, I heard about a man, a man who walked up to a pastor, uh, that, uh, and, and, and the man looked at the pastor and he said, I know you don't recognize me, but, but my, my wife and I uh, uh, came to, to you for marriage counseling when you were, when you were on staff at a previous church. And, and he said, we, we tried to meet with you for a while, and it, got, it just got difficult. It wasn't working. And finally, he, he said, we, we, we just decided, we said we're leaving. And you said, well, 
And he said, the pastor said to them in the middle of that, in that counseling session, he said, well, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a prescription for you. And if you'll fill this prescription, it will heal you and your marriage along with other broken relationships you have. And the man said to the pastor, he said, you took a piece of paper and you wrote on it, you folded it up, and then you handed it to me and said, do not open this until you get in your, in your car but this is a prescription for you to be healed. We got a little short or something in the cord here. but um, And the pastor had no memory of this taking place. But the man said, uh, I have, I've kept that paper. And he said, I look at it almost every day. And it has changed my life. It healed my marriage. And he asked the pastor, he said, do you remember writing it? And the pastor said, uh, friend, I, I do not remember that, that moment. And so the man took out the paper and he opened up that folded piece of paper and he, and he, and he looked at it and, and all it said there, and it was in that pastor's handwriting. It was, it, there, he couldn't deny it. It was in his own handwriting. But all that it said on that piece of paper was grow up. Now, I don't know if that's a gift of healing or a word of wisdom, but that was what that man needed to hear. So I, I think it was a word of wisdom. I mean, I don't know if there was healing involved or a gift, that sort of thing, but I think there was some wisdom in there that God gave him the wisdom to see what this man needs is to be able to get past his own immaturity if he's going to heal, see healing in this relationship. So the, the word of wisdom just flows in our natural communication. Let, let's go on. Verse 8. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now, a word of knowledge is when you have some knowledge about a person, circumstance, or situation that it's imparted to you that you could not know naturally. Now, again, remember, this doesn't have to be some flamboyant thing in a church service. I want to tell you about a woman named Margie. Margie went to a tiny Methodist church in Georgia and, uh, and, and, and the church she went to, the, uh, they had a new pastor assigned to that church. That pastor had been recently baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is back in the early days of the charismatic movement. And so the Methodist church wasn't really happy about it. He'd been on staff at a very large church in, in Atlanta. But the denomination, they removed him from there. Because in the Methodist church, they assigned pastors to churches. It's not like here in the Sons of God where you, you vote them in or anything. But... Uh, but they removed him from that large church and they sent him to this little church in the middle of nowhere, in essence, just trying to get rid of him. They didn't want to deal with him. Well, his first Sunday there, he just announced to the congregation that the United Methodist Church was a Pentecostal denomination and they were very open to it. And they said, you know, we, we thought so. You know, that's kind of how it was. And so there was no resistance and to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It, it went great and people began to get saved and and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, in that church, there was a lady named Margie. And Margie was raising two just bad, wild teenage boys. I mean, they were out of control. I don't know their names. I think it was Frank and Jesse. <laughs> James' last name. Anyway, they, they, were just, they were just out of control. She's just had her hands more than full in the situation. And Margie would always come to church just, just looking weathered, you know, uh, she, her hair everywhere and there'd be stuff falling out of her purse. And she, she'd come in late and just look up at the pulpit with this deer in the headlights look that just said, 
please try to say something helpful. You know, that's, that's kind of how she where she was. Well, one night, Margie received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when she did, she just clicked on like a flashlight. And then the power of God began to work in Margie for healing and for grace, but particularly in the gifts of the Spirit in a beautiful way. Now, Margie worked at a, at a post office. And, and she began to pray with people at the post office. People would come to her window and uh, they'd be uh, holding their head or something, you know, just in, and, and she'd look at them and she'd say, what, what's the matter with you? Are, are you okay? And, and they'd say something like, well, I have, a, I have a terrible headache. And then she would just lean over the counter and pray for them. Well, well people began to get healed. And so, you know, people would begin to line up at her window at the, She'd have this one, be all these other open, windows open, and everybody's lined up at her window because they wanted to get prayed for. Well, the postmaster was a Christian man, and he didn't want to quench his spirit or anything, but, but he was like, look, Margie, I appreciate what's going on here, but we, we can't have a healing ministry in line at the post office. And, and he said, but here's what we do. He said, uh, on your coffee break at 10.15 in the morning and at 2.15 in the afternoon, I'll go out of my office, and anybody that wants prayer for healing can come into the postmaster's office at 10.15 in the morning or 2.15 in the afternoon. So God began to use her. But beyond that, she, beyond the prayer for healing, she began to be used in words of knowledge. And Now, I do want to say this about a word of knowledge because there are a lot of people that like to use a word of knowledge to try to lord over people and try to tell them this is what you ought to do, that sort of thing. But, but I want to say something about words of knowledge. Every word of knowledge must be tested over and over and over again. And how is it tested? Number one, it is tested by the Word of God. God is not going to give a word that is inconsistent with, what, with the Word that, which He has already given. So it's very important that you know the Word as you evaluate, as you begin to test the Word of knowledge. But then the other side of it is, is you know, that if they say something... I want to say this. People often, they will say a word of knowledge and say, God's going to do such and such. I think typically the word of knowledge in a situation like that, it's really God confirming what he's already saying to that other person. It's, it's rarely out of the blue uh, direction. You know, uh, for example, you know, there have been times when I was in youth ministry that somebody, some kid, I would see God was really just really just doing a number on them at youth camp or whatever. And I would, in my spirit, I would know God's going to call, God's trying to call them into ministry. Now, I always waited because I, if I go up to them and I say, if I say, hey, man, I just want you to know, I feel like God's calling you to ministry. That's the word that I have for you. Well, here's the problem with that. They might receive that. But then when they get into ministry, here's what I have learned over the years at ministry. You're going to hit some rough, day, rough times. You're going to hit some turbulent waters. And when that happens, you will begin to wrestle with the question, was I called or not? Now, when that time comes for them, I don't want them looking back and saying, Pastor Dave said I was called, but was he right? So I would wait. And then God, God has the ability to speak to us. 
And when God would deal with them, and they'd come to me later on, usually within a day or two, sometimes not that quickly, but they would come and say, Pastor Dave, I just feel like maybe God's calling me into the ministry. Then I'm able to say, listen, I want to tell you, three days ago, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I want this to serve as a confirmation. Then when they hit the hard times, and they're like, did God call me or not? They're saying, well, I heard from God, and it was confirmed by, by, by Pastor Dave. And so it's, it's much more powerful that way. So anyway, I want to say that, just want to say that about word of knowledge. And, 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 and just because somebody says they have a word of knowledge doesn't mean that they do. Um, and, and it may not mean that they're lying to you. It may not mean that they're trying to, that they're doing something wrong. It just may, it may mean that they're deceived. It may mean that they've missed God. It may mean that they're just overzealous in the moment, but it may be all kinds of things. However, uh, the thing is when it's proven over and over and over again, you begin to say, this gift seems to be working, really seems to be flowing through this person. Well, that's what it, way it was with Margie. Began, people began to see, you know, this is, this is a legitimate. We see God working in this way. Well, later on, that, her pastor was preaching at an out-of-town revival at another Methodist church. Uh, and he was sitting there before service one night in the, in the host pastor study, and the phone rang, and that pastor picked up the phone, and, and he said, oh, it's for you. And he gave it to this guest pastor, and he took the call, and it was, it was Margie. And Margie just said, she said, I was just here washing dishes in my house, and I was praying for your service tonight, Pastor. And she said, I felt like the Lord said that there's going to be a lady named Ruth who will be there tonight and she needs prayer for her daughter. That's all she said. And he said, okay, thank you. And then he, then he told the host, host pastor what she had said. And he said, well, that, that's fine. He said, but the only thing is I know everybody in this church and, there's, and we don't have anybody in the church named Ruth. And the pastor said, great, no, no problems. You know, anybody can miss God. Margie is certainly not infallible, but she has been proven so many times. And the host pastor said, well, let's pray. It's almost time for service. So they prayed and, and then they, they stepped to the door that was leading into the sanctuary from the stud, pastor's study. And that door was kind of to the right of the, of the front section of pews. And that door had a little diamond-shaped glass window in the, in the, in the, the door and the, and the pastor, when he stepped up to, to, to go through that door and he, he put his hand to the, to that doorknob and he looked out through that window, that little diamond shaped window into the first section of pews. And suddenly he just stepped back like, like the doorknob was electrified. He said, Oh, and, and the, the Margie's pastor said, what's the matter pastor? And the host pastor said, look, look, when I told you that there was nobody in the church named Ruth, I was not lying to you. He said, but 10 years ago, a woman in this church named Ruth got so angry with me that she spit in my face and she cursed me and she left this church and she's never been in this church one time since that day. He said, she's sitting on the front row. Well, now they're filled with faith. And so Margie's pastor said, uh, well, let's bring her into the office. Let's talk to her before service. And so they brought her into the pastor's office. And he said, he said, ma'am, I, I don't know you. You don't know me. But I just want to share with you what happened. And she was very tense. She was very, very upset. She had tears in her eyes. And, and he told her about Margie and about the phone call. And he said, she said that a woman named Ruth would be here tonight and that you needed prayer for your daughter. And when he said the word daughter, she fell out of a chair, prostrate at her pastor's feet, 
grabbed his ankles and began, began to weep. And she said, can you ever forgive me? Can you ever forgive me? Well, it turned out the story was that she had gotten so angry uh, at her pastor, she spit on him, cursed him, left the church, and, and she said, Pastor, I need you to forgive me. And she went on to say this, and I'm uh, trying to resist the chasing a rabbit here, but, but, but she said, my daughter, who lives in San Francisco, told me that she has rejected God and is now deeply involved in a sinful lifestyle. And the woman said, I know that I have brought this curse on my house. I want, to, I want to say this about that. This is totally unrelated. I've seen it over and over and over again when I was in youth ministry where the adults, the parents of some teenager going into the early years of their teenage years get so upset at something at the church and they, they go home and have the pastor for lunch and they have problems and they have issues and they talk about it and, and then they leave the church and, and almost every time that couple eventually comes back to the church or comes back to the pastor, and whether they come to the church and, and, and uh, attend there, they, they usually come back and say, I need to apologize, I was wrong. But in the process, in that, in that process, the, what their actions did affected their child so much that now their child is far from God. And that's what happened there. But anyway, I, I just want to think about, think about Margie, though. To, to make a phone call like that. I mean, this is, she's just a, a, a lady that worked in a post office washing dishes in her own house and praying for her pastor. And all of a sudden she has this powerful word of knowledge. That's my point is that it's not just for church services. It's every day. It's every moment. If, if we'll just pay attention and be open and it doesn't have to be something flamboyant. In fact, I think usually it's not. In fact, most of the time, if it's something that somebody does it in some strange, flamboyant way, they're drawing more attention to themselves than, they're, than they are giving to Christ. And so, that, you know, it doesn't have to be some big experience in church. It doesn't have to come through someone using a, a weird voice in church. We like to do that, you know, but it, it's, it's just that sense of knowing. Now, now, now how, how does that work? Because it's a mystery, if, if you never experience it, it's, it's a mystery. But I, I, just, I just mentioned uh, uh, Tommy Tyson a moment ago, but uh, he, he's, he's with the Lord now. But when he was alive, he flowed in the gift of word of knowledge so powerfully. And there was a, a friend of his, a minister friend, and uh, they were at some conference or some event, and, and they were down on the altars, and they were praying for people around the altar, and, and, uh, and, and, and they were both praying for people. And, and uh, Dr. Tyson often prayed for, for healing quite a bit. And, and one night during this conference or whatever it was, his, this, his minister friend was, was beside him. And while they were there, a, a, a lady came forward for healing. She asked for healing. And Dr. Tyson, he, he, was, just, he was just a very unusual man, very, very eccentric. And uh, he, he, was, he was very, very overweight. And he had kind of a funny voice. You know, he just... just had a funny voice. That's just the way, who he was. And the lady came and knelt down and said she needed prayer for healing. And Dr. Tyson listened and just nodded his head a few times and said, well, we'll, we'll pray for you about healing. We'll, we'll pray. We'll pray. But he said, he said, but now, now we need to clear this up about Earl. And, and then she said, what did you say? He said, well, we're going to pray for healing, but we got to get this thing about Earl cleared up. He said, who's Earl? And she said, that's, that's my brother. 
We've been estranged for years and years. He said, I, I think he hates me and I, I certainly hate him. Well, they prayed and after the service, his friend, his minister friend, he, he was just curious. He's, he just went to Dr. Tyson and he said, Dr. Tyson, what, what, here's my question. What did that sound like? What, what did that feel like when you heard Earl? What, what did that look like in your mind and in your brain? What was, what was the sensation of that moment? He said, oh, oh, well, let, let me help you with that. Let me help you with that. He said, bow your head and close your eyes. And they, they were sitting in a car at the time. And, and so he bowed his head and closed his eyes. And Dr. Tyson said, all right, now, think the word Earl. <laughs> and he thought it. And Dr. Tyson said, okay, that's it. In other words, here's the point. If you're waiting for a word of knowledge to come in the voice of Charleston Heston from behind the clouds somewhere, if you're, if you're waiting for a bolt of lightning to, 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 uh, to strike you, to confirm to you that God is speaking, then you're, you're waiting for the wrong thing and you're going to miss God trying to say something to you. Because it's, it's usually just a simple thought that comes into your mind. And the faith comes when you step out on that. Earlier in Corinthians, Paul said in, in chapter 2, verse 16, he said, we have the mind of Christ. Now, uh, he said, those of us who are spiritually minded have the mind of Christ. And listen to how the, the J.B. Phillips translates it. This is what it says in that translation. It says, incredible as it may sound, we who are spiritual have the very thoughts of Christ. Now, just let that work down into your spirit for a moment. That God may actually access your computer up here and bring a thought into your mind. Now, it may not be a clear, full understanding, but just a, a simple thought that comes into your mind. And, and we have to learn to be sensitive to that and to not blow it off and not say, oh, it's just a hunch, not say, oh, it's just a guess, oh, it's just me, but to be, learn to be sensitive to his voice and learn to recognize that and, and be, learn to, to, to have the courage to step out in faith and say, and here's the thing, it's okay if you're wrong sometimes because you're not claiming to be infallible. Anybody here infallible? Somebody like, you tell me what it means and I'll tell you if I'm infallible. Anybody here, you, you'll never make a mistake again in your life. No, I don't see any hands. Yeah, so you're going to make mistakes. But, but I would rather you make a mistake in trying to obey God than make a mistake and disobey Him. So, so you know, when that time comes, you, you know, where you get yourself boxed in a corner is when you make it weird. When you walk up to somebody and you have this thing and you're trying to take a step out in faith, and you think, I think I have this word of knowledge. I have this word I need to say to somebody. When you walk up to them and say, Thus saith the Lord, you shall listen to me now because I'm going to say something that is from God. Then you say it if you're wrong. Then it's like, what do you do? You, you painted yourself in the corner. But instead, you go up to them and say, listen. You can say it a number of ways. You can say, man, I just think maybe I just had a God thought. I think maybe God is saying this. And if, if, I'm, if I'm wrong, just tell me and I'll drop it and we'll move on and I apologize. But, but let me say this to you. And you say it. And many times you'll discover it's God. 
And when, when that happens, you'll learn to recognize that little nudge, that still small voice. And you'll recognize it more and more and more to where the next time it comes, you're like, oh, this is very similar. I, re I realize this is God. And, you, and you're, you begin to grow in your faith and in your courage to step out in that faith. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, let, let me just put it this way. Give another example. If you and I were sitting in your living room and, and I asked you this simple question, I, I said, uh, well, I bet that if we were there and I asked you, have you ever had the sensation that you should call somebody, you know, that you just give them a call right now, and you, you just had that urge to call somebody, and then when you called them, they said, oh, I'm so glad you called. I'm, I'm dealing with this, or I've got this situation, I've got this circumstance, and you didn't know that. Well, I, I believe that that might well be part of what, uh, uh, what Scripture means by a word of knowledge. That that's something, something you don't know that you should call, but suddenly you know you should call. Does that, does that make sense? So it's just a simply a, a sense that I should do something. Let's go on. Verse 9. He says, to another, faith by the same spirit. Now, now this, this gift of faith is, it, this is not faith for salvation that it talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, that, that's faith that is active uh, in everybody who believes in Jesus and surrenders to his lordship. And I think, I believe, personally, I believe the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And when the gospel is preached, faith is released. And people then have the, have the opportunity to respond to that gospel because of the faith that is that is. Uh, produced from that word. But, uh, but, but this is a different kind of faith. Th this is that moment where everybody in, in the room, everybody in the church is praying for something. Everybody is believing for, for something. Maybe they're even confessing it by faith, but, but this is beyond that. It's, it's that moment when, when, a, when a gift of faith comes to a person, uh, they, they just know that they know that they know that they know that they know that it's going to be done. That, that faith comes and it happens. That's the gift of faith. And those who flow easily in the gift of faith have such a tremendous place in the body of Christ because they become such huge encouragement for the people around them because uh, you, can, you can have those moments where everybody is just praying for something and really seeking God and is urgent. And, and then that person uh, who, has, who has been proven to be used in this area uh, consistently, that person can then stand up and say, now, now, listen to me, listen to me. It's done. It's settled in the heavenlies. And suddenly, that gift of faith creates more faith in the people around them. So it's a huge, wonderful gift to the church. So now here's the thing about the gift of faith is you have to have the goods. You have to have the goods. You can't just fake the gift of faith. Well, in fact, I mean, you can't fake any of these gifts. But with the gift of faith... You have to know that you know that you know that you know that you know. And then you're not arrogant about it. You just state it plainly and simply. This is done. This is done. And now listen, again, this is the main theme. That can happen in everyday life. It doesn't have to happen in a church. It doesn't have to happen in a prayer service. It can happen in a conversation with your neighbor. It can happen in your living room, in your office, wherever it is. Let's look at what's next. Verse 9, to another, gifts of healing 
by the one spirit. Now, interesting there because it's gifts of healing, not gift of healing. So the gifts of healing can mean a number of things. It can be uh, means counseling. It can be anointing someone with oil and praying for them. It can be uh, praying with a friend in your living room. And, and with this one in particular, I've, as I've said in previous weeks, these gifts can, can work in concert. They work together often. And sometimes it's really hard to figure out, was it this or is it this? And, and in those moments, we've got to stop trying to analyze and just let the gifts flow. But, but I'll give you an example. Let's take the late, great uh, Catherine Kuhlman. Uh, it has never, to me, has never been completely clear, frankly, whether Catherine Kuhlman had the gift of healing. That, you know, I mean, she almost never laid hands on anybody. But whether she had the gift of healing or, or whether she had the gift of word of knowledge or whether she had the gift of discernment of spirits. You know, Catherine Kuhlman is another. I mean, often people that are spend much time in prayer are, are, are unusual people. They can be a little eccentric. She was an unusual lady, to say the least. But she would walk out into an auditorium full of 10,000 people and she'd look up in the balcony and say, the man there with the red shirt, stand up. You have diabetes and God is healing you right now. And, and, now, and, then, and then and he would be healed. Now, I don't know where that ranks. I don't know where that lies in this list of the gifts of healing. The person is healed, but is it gift of healing or is it word of knowledge or, or is it discernment of spirits? And like I've said in previous weeks, the answer is probably yes. Because it's like trying to figure out when you grab a, a cluster of grapes and squeeze, when all the juice from those grapes run down and, and trying to figure out which grape that drop came from that's dripping from your elbow. Now the spirit just moves together. And so uh, we, don't, we don't have to try to figure out and categorize everything but to, to realize God is doing that, this gift of healing. Verse 10 says, to another, the working of miracles. Now, this is interesting because when we think of the gift of healings, we often think of miracles. And here's a separate one, the gift of, of miracles, working of miracles. Now, the, the working of miracles, I'll say this, and the gift of faith are, are basically inseparable. But the, but the working of miracles is where a person actually acts in a certain way and a thing, a thing happens in that situation. When, when I have the gift of faith, I know that something is going to happen. I know, I know that it's coming. I'm satisfied in my spirit that it's coming. However, the working of miracles is where the miracle is performed. Now, obviously, Paul does not mean and we're, we are not to think that that person has any power to work miracles in and of themselves, but the supernatural power of God is flowing through that person. The, the focus of power is flowing through that person to an event or circumstance, or so, and, and then something miraculous happens as a result. Now, what happens, it, it may be physical healing, in which case I believe in those moments that the gift of healing and the gift of working of miracles were working together, working in concert at the same time, because Healing happens in those moments uh, uh, in, in a supernatural moment. See, here's the thing I believe about the gift of healing. One of the gifts of healings, anyway, is, it, is, is that it can flow and that healing can still be a process. That, that it, you know, because a, doctor's, a doctor can say to a family, there's no hope. And then God can flow through somebody with the gift of healing and maybe... Two months later, they're in perfect health. Well, I still—that's—I believe that's still the gift of healing. 
Just, just because it wasn't instantaneous doesn't mean it wasn't a gift of healing. But when that happens, when you have the gift of healing and it's instant, in, instantaneous, then I believe what you've got is a combination of the gift of healing and the working of miracles happening at the same time. And, and, and there are many of those in the New Testament. I, I've seen those and many of you have seen those as well. However, we also need to know that there are other kinds of miracles. There are other kinds of miracles. It's not always about healing. I, I've told the story before of a time early in Dr. Mark Rutland's ministry when he, he was traveling extensively as a young preacher in evangelism and he took this college boy along with him to lead the singing and the revival services where he was preaching. Well, they were heading to one on this, on this cold January night and they were, they were driving across this dam and while they were driving across it, they, were, they had a flat tire. And they, they were both out there freezing it. They both were so poor that, you know, the wind just whipping across the lake that the dam had created and, and it was just ripping through their lightweight coats. They just didn't have anything, you know, nice to wear or anything. And, and so anyway, the thing was, they got out there to try to change the tire and the, the lug nuts on the wheel were just frozen. They, they could not loosen those lug nuts. They were on there. They couldn't get them loose. They, they had a star lug nut wrench. You know what I'm talking about, the one that's like in the shape of a T. And so those are great because they give you, give you a lot better leverage on those. But, but they, they had that thing, and, and, and Dr. Rutland would be pulling on one side, and this college kid was standing on the other side jumping, and they could not budge a lug nut. Not a single one of them moved even a, even a, a smidgen. That's a good word. I like smidgen. And so they, they just did everything they did. I could. I mean, in fact, they switched and Dr. Rutland stood on the wrench and then and the other kid was pulling up. They just couldn't do anything. They did everything they could. It just didn't work. Well, finally, after they did this for a while, this college boy said, you, you know, you know, Brother Rutland, I just realized we, we haven't prayed yet. And, and for some reason, that just hit Dr. Rutland sideways and made him so angry for this college boy to remind the great evangelist that he, had, that he, uh, that he, that he needed to pray. And he, he said, he don't know why, but it just irritated him. It hit him wrong. You know, it's kind of like when your child corrects you and you know they're right and you're, and you're just like, oh, I don't wanna, you may be right, but I'm not going to admit it, you know, kind of thing. And so anyway, Dr. Rutland looked at the kid and he said, well, if we haven't prayed, then pray. Well, the kid just dropped down on one knee on that cold road and he said, Lord, we cannot open these lug nuts. Would you please open these lug nuts in Jesus' name, amen. And Dr. Rutland thought to himself, that's the most half-baked prayer for a miracle I've ever heard in my life. But he says, and I've heard him say this, he said, God as his witness, they opened the rest of the lug nuts with their bare hands. Never put the wrench back on there. Backed them all off with bare hands. And it just made Dr. Rutland so angry, he just went and sat in the car and said, you finish changing it. You know, he just, he just, he just kind of hit him that way. He knew God had just done a miracle, though, and, and it was a powerful, a powerful little moment that he never forgot over the years. But here's the thing. God can work miracles in all kinds of areas. He can, he can work financial miracles I know I have seen those in my life. You have probably seen those. If you've been faithful in bringing your tithe to the Lord, I almost guarantee you have seen those, those kind of miracles. And it's not always, by the way, it's not always a miracle of, of that suddenly there's money in your bank. Sometimes it's a miracle where God keeps your money from flowing out. Like we had a washing machine that we had 
for 20 years before it went bad. That's just unheard of. They're made to last like five years to throw out. It lasted 20 years, not a single service call. Well, I, I believe that's God doing something there in that moment. He, he can work financial miracles. He can work relational miracles. We have all seen, I've seen marriages healed that were, that were actually not just uh, in trouble, they had divorced. And both of them were, had been cheating on each other and they were divorced and God healed that marriage. I've, I've seen those kind of things. He can work all kinds of miracles. But here's the thing. There is often a person, a specific person, through whom that miracle comes. They, they, they're the ones that reaches, one that reaches out their hand or they pray that prayer. And that, that can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to happen in church. So, so you're on your job and somebody gets hurt and you move toward them in, in one of the gifts of healing and you have faith believing and you reach out your hand toward them. Listen, when you put yourself in that place, you may be used of God in that moment in the working of a miracle. Let's, let's go on. Let's finish this out. Verse 10. To another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, or some translations say discernment. To another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, I spent uh, more time last week uh, on the issue of tongues and interpretation, so I'm not going to take more time on, on that again, I, just, I don't want to go over that again. You can look it up on our website, restorationlifechurch.tv. You can, you can watch that. Uh, but I want to deal instead more with the gift of prophecy and, and discernment of spirits. I, I, I dealt with discernment a little bit last week, but we're going to take a minute to talk a little, a little more. There was a woman who was traveling with her husband, and they, they stopped at a little convenience store, and they went into the store together, and and they kind of went their different ways, looking for, going through the shelves, looking what they wanted to get. And the woman uh, and her husband were on these different aisles. And she, she soon found her husband and she said, get whatever you need, but I have to go, I have to, go to the car. She said, said just get, get whatever you need, but I've just, I've just got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. Well, he, he thought she was sick. So he just grabbed something real quickly and then went out to the car. And he said, are, are you all right? Are you okay? And she said, I'm fine. I just had to get, get out of that store. I could not stay in that store a min, another minute. He, he said, why? What, what was wrong? He said, oh, she, she said, oh, there, there is an evilness about that man behind the counter. He said, well, what, was he leering at you? I mean, was there something he was doing? She said, no, no. When I walked in the door, I sensed evil. He said, well, wh what did it feel like? And she said, I'm, I don't know. She said, I'm just telling you that my spirit felt troubled. And the closer I got to him, the more I knew I had to get away. I could not be in the presence of that person. That's an example of discernment of spirits where you know something's going on. And I want you to know discernment of spirits can be very, very valuable, not just in a situation where you're like trying to judge a, a certain situation or circumstance with another person, but it can be valuable in other areas. In fact, discernment of spirits can be very valuable when you're listening to teaching. Matter of fact, it may be the most important time when, when, it's, when it's just as you're, as you're listening to me uh, teaching tonight, you, you should be praying for discernment. Lord, let me, 
Let me discern if this is from you, if this is true, if this is, if this is right. You, you should be praying that God would give you wisdom. You should be praying that God would allow the gifts of the Spirit to operate through you without affectation of any kind. And, 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 and by the way, I'm not talking about acting all spiritual. I just like saying it that way. You know, if you, if you have to act spiritual, then it's just an act. It's not real. I'm talking about the natural flow of your life. The natural flow of your conversation. So, so you're an insurance agent and you're, you're, you're a salesperson and you're, you're, you're sitting down with a couple to sell them an insurance policy. And in the, in the midst of that conversation, you just suddenly begin to sense that something is wrong in this marriage. And, and in that moment, you know, you, you, you don't have to raise your hand up like you're the prophet Jeremiah and say, whoa, God has shown me something is evil in this marriage. No, no, that's, that would be weird. No, what you do, you just say, hey, hey, listen, listen while we were talking, I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you just tell me and, and I'll drop it immediately. But could it be that you need prayer? I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And if you'll let me, I'd like to pray for your marriage, if that'd be okay. And, and if there's something there and they let you, then maybe healing begins. Maybe, maybe that's a word of wisdom. Maybe that's a word of knowledge. Maybe that's discernment of spirits. I don't know. But don't, don't try to analyze the gifts. Just let them flow. Here's the thing. Be authentic and sensitive and yielded and let the Holy Spirit work through you in everyday life. Things don't just have to happen in church. In fact, I do not believe that the church service is the primary theater of operation for the gifts of the Spirit. I believe that the primary theater of operation for the gifts of the Spirit is in the day-to-day -day lives of believers just like you and just like me. Right where you walk, live, and shop. So you're coming through the checkout counter at Walmart and the lady across from you seems downcast or hurt or wounded or something you just sense something going on there why not why not just take a moment and say to her hey when, when I get out to my car I would like to pray for you is there something I can pray for you about and I'm not going to pray here in the store I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that but I'm going to go out to my car now and I'm a person of prayer how can I pray for you and odds are probably nine times out of ten believe it or not she'll pour out her heart to you especially the further south you go, the further that is. Now, I've learned if you stay in a line at Walmart long enough, the further south you go, you're going to learn the entire medical history of the person in line with you. That's just, people are open. But, but if you show concern, if you let the Holy Spirit use you in that moment, just see if he'll open the door. The, the odds are. Now, why not be sensitive to what's going on? Why not be yielded and open to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do to touch the lives of people around you every day? Well, let me try to bring this to a conclusion. Uh, Dr. Terry Teckle is another one of those unusual servants of God. And Dr. Teckle was attending a conference uh, and several other minister friends of his, his were staying at the same hotel. And, and he and his friends made arrangements to meet in the lobby and they were going to walk down to a restaurant that they had seen earlier uh, when they were coming, arriving at the hotel and they were going to go there for breakfast the next morning. And so they, they met down in the lobby, and, and as they met there, Dr. Teckel 
said to his friend, the Lord spoke to me. And his friend said, well, what did, what did he say, Terry? He said, today you will teach Muhammad to pray. And he said, Terry, what, what can that even mean? That, that doesn't mean anything. He said, I'm just telling you, it came into my spirit when I was putting my shoes on this morning. Terry, today you will teach Muhammad to pray. And his friend said, well, fine. And he was thinking, Muhammad died in the 7th century, but they went on to the breakfast at that restaurant. Well, the, later, the waiter was there. He was waiting on them. And Dr. Tekel said to the waiter, he said, he said listen, if I gave you a prayer on, written on a card, and I said that if you would pray that prayer three times a day, morning, noon, and night, that God would bless and prosper your life, would you pray it? And, and the man said, oh, yes, I, I would pray that. And, and so Dr. Tekel reached into his pocket, and he handed the man a card with the Lord's Prayer and, uh, on it, and he said, pray this prayer morning, noon, and night. Open yourself to the, to the Lord, and God is going to prosper and bless your life. And the man said, oh, oh, thank you. I thank you. I appreciate that. And, and Dr. Tekel said, oh, by the way, what's your name? And he said, it's Muhammad. Well, when the waiter left the table, his friend was kind of doubtful. Even though he was a spirit-filled minister, he, was, he kind of doubted the moment he, that well, everything was going on. He said, Terry, were you in this restaurant before we got here this morning? And he said, I came with you on the same plane. And he said, and the friend said, well, did you know the waiter's name was Muhammad? And he said, how would I have known that? And indeed, there wasn't any way he could have known that. What I'm trying to say is, with all these stories and all these situations, we need to demystify the gifts of the Spirit. We make them so weird, and they should be so natural. The, the, the gifts of the Spirit are not to make us crazy. They're not to make us weird. The gifts of the Spirit are to make us useful in a calm, orderly, gentle, and loving way. When the opportunity comes, offer the gift. Offer the gift. They, they may take you up on it, and, and if they do, then the moment of ministry opens. If for some reason they reject it, well, that's, that's nothing against you. They're just not ready for it in that moment. Some, sometimes they... By the uh, uh, additional note, sometimes a word may, uh, may come to you that's, that's not for outward ministry, but it's just simply for you to pray. Sometimes God will say, this is what I'm, I want you to know. He'll give you this knowledge of something, this thought will come to your mind. And, and it's not for you to go and necessarily go to that person and say, okay, I'm going to tell you what God said. You know, you need to pray. When you have that, that thought, you need to say, okay, God, is this... Is this for me to pray about or do I, is there something I need to do? But you may get a word of knowledge that that, that word may be for you about praying for a, certain per, per, for a certain purpose. And I also want to say, you may be used in one of these gifts or several of these gifts in one circumstance and never be used in the same way again. And what is that to you? God is God. He gives the gifts of the Spirit to each individually as He wills. So, so let me just close with this. Th this chapter itself, 1 Corinthians 12, is situated in a very specific place in the letter in 1 Corinthians. 
In, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about confusion and disorder in, 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 in the church during communion and the Lord's Supper and things that they needed to do correct. And, and, and then after that, he talks about operating in the gifts of the Spirit decently and in order. And, and he talks about the way that things ought to be done in the church. And then, then on the heels of that, in chapter 13, he says, he says basically, now he, he goes through and talks about, about love and that sort of things. But he says, no matter how wonderful the gifts are, he, he says, there, there will be no faith in heaven. There'll be no faith in heaven. I mean, you won't have to have faith in heaven. Because what would you believe God for? It's all there. And, and this may be a great relief to you, but there'll be no preaching in heaven. Some of you are, some of you are like, oh, now this place is sounding better all the time. No, none of the gifts of the Spirit will be in heaven. Because we will know as we are known. But he says... There's only one thing that we'll take with us into heaven. He, he says that faith is great and, and hope is great, but, but what would we hope for in heaven? In heaven, all hopes, all hopes are realized. I mean, when you're looking at the face of Jesus, what, what could you possibly hope for? Everything you've ever hoped for is met. Faith and hope will be swallowed up in heaven. There will be one thing we'll take to heaven with us, and that's love. That's love. If you want to be used of God in the gifts of the Spirit in a sensitive and caring way in the day-to-day -day life you live as a believer, it has to be because you are saturated with love. You have to get your love level higher than the level of your giftedness. And then, and only then, God can use you in the lives, to touch the lives of people around you. That's the key. All the gifts operate in love. Always. Always. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for these powerful gifts that you give to your church, and you choose to use us in whatever way you want. And I pray, God, that you would just help us to begin to have the faith to realize, Jesus, that you can use me in any of these gifts. And it's not, you don't choose us because we're super spiritual or we're so good or we're good enough, God. That's, that's not what, the way a gift works. You choose us because you want to use us to touch a specific person in a specific way. You want to deal with a specific circumstance and we're your hands and feet in that moment. And so I pray, God, that we would just open ourselves and say, Lord, if you want to do these things, do it. Because now we realize, God, we don't have to become somebody else. We don't have to be strange and weird. We can just be us because your spirit comes through us as us. And so, God, I pray that you would just help us to be open, that we'd be receptive, we'd be sensitive, and we would just learn to take that simple little step of faith. Lord, start us small if you need to. Just to say, just when, we, when you say to us, that person's hurting, go ask if you can pray. Lord, just help us take that step of faith and say, you know, I, I may be wrong, but I just felt like God said I wanted, needed to pray for you. Are, you. are you okay? Are you dealing with something? Are you hurting? God, I pray that that would lead on to greater things and we become more and more useful
in your hands and that all of these gifts would flow in a spirit of love. And we give you thanks in the, in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.